confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 26. Meet Dr. Beth Morris, the country's youngest board-certified lifestyle medicine physician. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like many trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Dr. Yami Kazorla-Lancaster, board-certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I'm so excited to have a friend of mine, Dr. Elizabeth Morris, who is a family and lifestyle medicine physician in Greenville, South Carolina. I met her four years ago at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine when she was just an intern and now she is an attending physician all doing all kinds of wonderful stuff so just so you know a little bit more about dr morris she was actually a competitive figure skater growing up and was always interested as nutrition as a means of optimizing performance and earned herself a spot on team usa in 2005. she then moved on to study biomedical engineering at the university of virginia And it wasn't until her medical training that she realized that her interest in nutrition could be a career. So she dedicated her elective time to working with various lifestyle medicine physicians around the U.S., including Dr. John McDougall, Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Ron Weiss, and Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. After her training, she had no doubt that lifestyle medicine is a key to addressing our chronic disease epidemic. She is currently faculty at the University of Southern Carolina School of Medicine in Greenville, a leader of the Lifestyle Medicine Education Collaborative, and an active member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And she recently informed me that she is the youngest person in the U.S. to be board certified in lifestyle medicine. Congratulations, Dr. Morris. Thank you. Thank you. There were some roadblocks along the way, but it sounds better when you leave those out. (laughs) Of course. Of course. 
Well, Dr. Morris, there's so much that we can talk about, but I want to go ahead and just get started so that we can get the most out of this hour. Tell us a little bit about how you came to learn about plant-based nutrition and ultimately lifestyle medicine. Well, I guess it really started when I was very young. Even just as a kid, I was always interested in nutrition. And I always had dried fruit in my Easter basket while all my siblings had candy. It's just the way it was. Um, so I've, just, I've always just had an interest in nutrition. And I'm really not even sure where that came from. Um, but anyway, again, like you mentioned, I was a figure skater growing up. And so I really saw nutrition as a way, as a, a means to performance. You eat better, fuel yourself better, you should perform better, right? Um, and then, you know, did my undergrad, studied engineering, always kind of kept nutrition on the side as a side interest. And then medical school is when I really actually found it to be relevant to what I was studying. Um, so, of course, we all know in medical school, we focus so much on scurvy and I don't know, all these crazy nutritional diseases that we don't see very much in the US. Um, and we learn about nutrition in terms of those specific diseases, but not really in terms of chronic disease prevention and like full health, diabetes, heart disease, all the bread and butter of family medicine. Um, so I just decided during my elective time, I was gonna check out some of the plant-based docs around the US and actually that time I didn't really know of them as plant-based doctors, but I wanted to work with doctors who focused on nutrition. Um, and my first stop was with John McDougall out in Santa Rosa, California. And I had sent him an email asking, you know, hey, can I hang out at the practice, see what you're doing, et cetera. And the deal was that if I could do all the blood pressure checks every morning, they would let me attend the 10-day program for free and participate in all the doctor's visits. So anyway, it was an incredible experience. Incredible experience. Um, and so from there, that got me even more charged up. And so I worked with Neil Barnard after that at the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, worked on a research project looking at plant-based diets and whether or not we can improve diabetic neuropathy pain scores, which we can. Um, also got to do some advocacy on Capitol Hill uh, for the Enrich Act and the Eat for Health Act, those increase hours of nutrition education and medical training and improve school lunches. So that was incredible. Then um, Dr. Esselstein, Dr. Ron Weiss, it was incredible. So one of those subjects where the more you learn, the deeper you are in it, you just can't get out. So, so I realized that was totally my thing. I went to a sports medicine conference a few years back and I found myself reading nutrition articles instead of paying attention. So I knew that was my thing. <laughs> so you were sold after you had visited all these prominent physicians that had lots of experience and seeing how they were working and treating their patients seemed like the right path for you. Right. It's kind of tricky though, because what works for John McDougall isn't necessarily going to work for me in Greenville, South Carolina. So that was kind of my goal is to check out some different practice models, see how different people are doing it and figure out how I could best apply it down here where I am in Greenville. Mm -hmm. And how long have you yourself eaten a plant-based diet? Uh, well, let's see, 2000, I guess January 2014 is when I worked with John McDougall. I was definitely plant curious before then, um, but yeah, I would say, what is that, working on five years now? Yeah, 
Congratulations. Thank you. Well, one of the things that you're very passionate about is diabetes. Tell me, why are you so passionate about diabetes? And is there anything we can really do about this epidemic? Yeah, well, I don't really know if I chose diabetes or diabetes chose me, but it is something we see obviously very commonly in family medicine. Um, so diabetes is just one of those disease states where uh, we can just so quickly fix fix someone. You know, we can have someone come in, their diabetes is out of control. We can go over all the dietary stuff, talk about how a plant-based diet um, changes our biochemistry on the molecular level. And we can very quickly start someone out on a plant-based diet, 12 weeks later, check their numbers again, and they can see on paper how much better their blood sugar control is. Um, it is just, it is so obvious for people to see. Um, obviously, we see a lot of heart disease, see a lot of cancer also. And those things, while yes, they absolutely can be optimized with a plant-based diet, it's harder to see those numbers on paper. I guess we can see cholesterol in terms of heart disease, but diabetes is one where I feel like there's so much misinformation. If we correct that misinformation, set people on the right track, get them off their medicines, they are very, very thankful. Do you have any patient stories off the top of your head that you'd like to share? I do. Of course, I always do. Um, yeah, so to give you a little more background, um, so right now I see about 60% of my patients are lifestyle medicine patients who seek me out specifically for lifestyle medicine or are referred to me for lifestyle medicine. The other 40% are my classic family medicine patients who just want classic primary care. Um, and so my biggest success is always when I can take a classic patient and turn them into a lifestyle patient. So I had a guy come in, maybe 45 years old, very heavy guy, 300 pounds, um, just big burly guy, deep voice. And uh, he'd been in the ER three times for gout flares, also has diabetes um, on two medications. And, um, you know, he came in to see me and I was like, look, if we, if we change your diet, we can get rid of all of this. And... I kind of asked him my screening questions to determine whether or not he is someone who would be interested in changing his diet. He was. I set him up for a longer appointment. We went through all of the nutritional information about gout and diet and diabetes and diet. Came back 12 weeks later, had had no gout flares over that time, despite having three in a row just before coming to see me. Um, and we got his A1C down so far that we were able to completely take him off all of his medications. And so he's the kind of person who just doing the best he can he doesn't have the right information but once he does he can completely get rid of everything so it was just it was very nice and he went to the front desk on his way out and you know I said all right follow up in 12 weeks and he goes he says all right I need a follow-up appointment for three months from now and and I don't have diabetes anymore so it's very cool to see how happy he was wow that's unbelievable that's unbelievable and I think a lot of people have no clue how powerful diet can be in reversing right. diabetes. And I think a lot of people are also under the misunderstanding that it only has to do with weight loss. But if, our, if the changes are happening this quickly, it's not secondary weight loss. It's secondary to the things that are going on inside our bodies and how right. our diet is interacting with our blood cells. So I think that that's super important. How do you explain it to your patients whenever you are trying to encourage them to maybe give it a try, give this plant-based diet thing a try? Well, a few ways. Um, 
So Michael Greger, he's amazing, nutritionfacts.org. He's got um, several great videos on diabetes, but one of them in particular, he talks about a study where we have two groups of people. Uh, we put half of them on a plant-based diet. The other half, they just eat what they usually eat. Um, and the group on the plant-based diet, they are instructed to eat, eat so much food so that they do not lose any weight, right? So that takes out the confounding variable of weight loss. And he shows that over a period of time, even if they are eating enough to maintain their weight, they will improve their diabetes or, you know, help to reverse their diabetes. So number one, you can reverse your diabetes without losing any weight. Number two, while I am definitely a person who does cannonballs, I'm an all or nothing person, not everyone is. And in those people who are not all or nothing people, they can still make incremental changes. They can still wade in the water. They can move towards a more plant-based diet. Instead of doing 50% plant-based, maybe they're 80% plant-based and they can still see some improvements. So either one. For those people that are a little bit timid of going all the way and they're not sure where to start, where do you recommend they start? Well, I am a big believer in education. So people need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And I think knowledge can be very motivating for people. Um, so I really like Michael Greger's book, How Not to Die. It has a great overview of um, a variety of chronic disease states and how we can improve them with diet, primarily a plant-based diet. Um, so I think it can be very motivating to read that book and very empowering so people can really actually see how much impact they can make by changing their diet. I also love that book and I recommend it all the time. And it's also a great audio book too for people that love Dr. Greger's videos. Hearing the audiobook is is great because you can, you know, his intonation and, and the way that um, he describes things. So I've read it and I've also listened to the audiobook and I highly recommend it. What other resources do you recommend for patients that want to gather more information before they get started or as they learn, as they get started, learn more information as they go? Yeah. So it kind of depends on the person. And I try to figure out what their obstacle is first. Because some people know all the information, they have a hard time applying it different books for different people. Um, but some of my favorites, I also like um, Jeff Novick's DVD, Fast Food. You can buy it on Amazon. It's about $23. Um, and it provide it really shows the basics in how to prepare plant-based food. He's got a pot, he's got a spoon, he's got 10 minutes, he's got $15, and he's got, you know, cans of tomato product, canned beans, frozen vegetables, and a starch like rice or potatoes. And he shows an overview about how you can prepare a variety of plant-based meals very simply. Um, so I like that one. Um, I like Alan Goldhammer and Doug Lyle, The Pleasure Trap. Um, classic case of don't judge a book by its cover because I think the cover looks a little spoofy and magical. But um, it's a great book for someone who understands the information, but they have a hard time applying it. Or they might have a hard time with social events or travel or, or getting over some of their habits. So that's another good one. Mm, let me think if I have any third one I really like. Um, I don't know. What the hell? Forks over knives, DVDs. Those are great for the people who are really on the fence and might not even want to read a whole book. Just a one-hour documentary can push a lot of people over, over the edge to the point where they might take another step forward. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think that for some people that maybe aren't so much into reading or don't have as much time, getting into the documentaries to begin with can be a good choice as well. Well, you mentioned obstacles. So I wanted to kind of talk about goals and obstacles. Tell me about how you approach goals with your patients. You had mentioned to me before that maybe some patients, they don't have the right goal in mind or haven't gotten down to the core of what their true goal is. How do you right. walk patients through this and choosing and setting goals for themselves? Right. Okay. With regard to goals, um, people usually haven't dug deep into their goals. When someone comes in, you ask them what their goal is. It might be lose weight or it might be lower my cholesterol. Um, you know, get off my medicines. But when you dig a little bit deeper, their goals usually go one step further. And the reason they want to lose weight and get off their medicines and lower their cholesterol is because they want to feel better. They want to have more energy. They want to be able to um, keep up with their kids, their grandkids. They want to avoid the chronic disease that they see their parents and other family members, you know, suffering from. Um, and so if you can, I mean, especially weight loss, people come in wanting weight loss, but usually they want more than that. Um, and I think it's really important to figure out what those motivators are, because if all they want to do is lose weight, sure, they can follow an Atkins diet, they can binge on cocaine, they can get infectious diarrhea. There's lots of ways if weight loss is their only goal. But if they want to lose weight in the context of chronic disease prevention, better energy, et cetera, um, a plant-based diet is going to be the way to go. So you, you need leverage when you're talking to patients. And I think identifying their motivators really helps. Yeah, that's super important because I talk to people about that too, is sometimes what we really want is to change how we feel on a day-to-day -day basis or, you know, increase the amount of joy in our lives. And a goal like weight loss, even though it could help a ton and it can help improve somebody's life, it's more than just the weight loss that can bring them the ultimate goal of just having a happier, healthier, more joyful life. So start out with what can you do? What habits and behaviors can you apply to just be more healthful? And then the weight loss often comes with it in the end, you know? And so I think that that is very uh, clever to make sure that you talk about that. What about SMART goals? Do you go through um, the actual process of developing SMART goals with your patients? And what is that? So people that haven't heard. So, okay, SMART goal. S is for specific, M is measurable, A is achievable, R is relevant, T is time-based. So again, when you ask people their goals, you know, they're just gonna say, uh, lower my cholesterol, simply. But I mean, we want our goal not really to be the end point, but we want our goals to explain how we're going to get there. So a smarter goal would be, okay, let's say specific, like I am going to eat oatmeal instead of bacon and eggs uh, on five days of the week, starting on Monday, in order to lower my cholesterol. Let's see, what have I missed? That's specific, it's measurable, because they can come back in the office and I can ask them, did you do that five days a week? Achievable, yes, oatmeal is very affordable. Relevant, yes, oatmeal will lower our cholesterol and time-based, you know, starting on Monday and we'll follow up in six weeks or recheck in three months. Um, so that also breaks it down into 
a digestible piece. Or if someone wants to be more active, instead of I want to be more active, you know, I'm going to go walking Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning uh, with a friend of mine. I'm going to lay out my shoes the night before, set myself up for success, etc. Um, so really having our goals instead of being endpoints, but being uh, a prescription for how we're going to get to that endpoint makes goals a lot more effective. Yeah, smart goals are definitely smarter because it also gives you the self-efficacy because if you know that you're able to like, okay, I can check that off my box today. I did that. I achieved that. Instead of saying, I want to lower my cholesterol, it's kind of like this vague, okay, when do I get that? Did I do enough today to lower my cholesterol? It doesn't give me that self-efficacy boost of I'm headed in the right path. I've taken these steps and I'm changing my actual behaviors. So I love that. I love that you talk to your patients about SMART goals. Well, how about obstacles? What do you think is the biggest obstacle that your patients change when they're trying to change their lifestyle and their habits? I think one of the biggest ones I see is just burnout from health information. You know, people have read every book, they have tried every diet, when you start to talk about a plant-based diet, especially that word diet, um, I've been doing a lot of quotes, sorry. <laughs> um, but when you talk about a plant-based diet, if, if they don't understand why we're recommending it, it just sounds like any other diet. And really the difference between lifestyle medicine and some of these other fad diets or plant-based diets and some of these other fad diets is that it's founded in evidence-based medicine and it's focused on chronic disease prevention. Almost every other diet book you read is usually about weight loss or, you know, I'd say 90% of them are. Um, so just realizing that a plant-based diet is just not, an, it's not just another fad diet, but it's an evidence-based method of preventing and reversing disease. Um, so that's definitely a big obstacle. Um, and I think Michael Greger's book does a great job kind of explaining that and laying out the evidence for it. Um, so yes, that is one. I think another obstacle people have is just figuring out how it's going to work for them socially. Um, a lot of people have families, they are cooking with other people. Maybe those other people they're cooking with are terrible eaters who are skinny, who frustrate everyone. Um, but if we're cooking for families or significant others, it, it can be hard for one person to change their goals if they don't, or sorry, change their eating style if they don't have the support of their family. Um, so kind of navigating that and also social events, you know, when you go to someone's house, like how can you be socially graceful while you still follow a plant-based diet, those sorts of things people have trouble with. So it's really different person to person, what is kind of hindering them from meeting their goals. Yeah, those are huge ones. I, the first one you talked about is, you know, the failing to take action. I can completely identify with that because I am an information consumer. I, I just, I love learning and I will just sit here and passively learn and learn and learn and learn and learn all day. But it's true. You almost get like decision paralysis whenever yeah. you take in too much information. So I've had to have this conversation with patients too. It's like, just stick to something and take action. Right. Try it for a predetermined amount of time before you change and jump ship. And, you know, people going from paleo to keto to this, you know, like it's just almost like too much and too quick. You know, it might be one or two days on something before they go to something different. Yeah. And um, I so will say, yeah, one more obstacle really is um, expectations about what a plant-based diet will be like. Most people hear plant-based diet and they think that, you know, that's it. 
It's only lettuce and tomatoes from here on out, but that is not what a plant-based diet is. It's fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, rice, beans, sweet potatoes, acorn squash, root vegetables. There's a whole world of food you can eat. So it is not a diet of deprivation and starvation, which is another common misconception. Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of people that aren't familiar with what it is, they think it really is just salad, you know? And if you do eat just salad all the time, you may be uh, dissatisfied, but it's just, it's definitely not that. The, the world of plants is so huge that many people haven't even barely scraped the surface of all the different whole plant foods that they can experience. Let's go back to the social settings though, and eating with family members that might have different eating styles or eating out with friends. What tips would you have with people when they're starting out? They don't, you know, maybe they're a little shy. They may feel awkward about it. How do you help them navigate that? Um, well, let's see if it's in, you know, the at home setting, um, helping people to kind of reframe their meals. So instead of, you know, what's for dinner tonight, steak, what's for dinner tonight, salmon, what's for dinner tonight, chicken, instead of meat or fish being the focus of the meal, change it so that plants are the focus. For example, like, you know, taco night or burritos or lentil soup or those kinds of things, which might or might not have meat in it, or they could be prepared you know, someone could have a burrito with no meat and then family members or someone else could have a burrito with meat. So kind of opting for those foods that are more plant-based instead of having meat to focus on the meals. Um, so that um, helps people when they start out. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Um, and then the other thing is, when we're going out socially, um, out to restaurants or something, uh, more ethnic restaurants tend to be a little bit easier, whether it's Asian or Mexican. Um, ethnic food, they tend to, I don't know, be a little bit more adaptable. A lot of it is not pre-made, or if you go out to Thai, you can get, you know, rice and steamed vegetables. Um, more ethnic restaurants tend to be a little bit easier for people. And then my third piece of advice is if you're going to someone else's house, always bring side dishes, um, because then you will always have something to eat. And and then never go too hungry because then you will set yourself up for failure. Eat a little bit beforehand if you need to. All wonderful tips. And I think too, it's just for people to be patient and learn and give themselves time to learn some of these habits and know that, well, maybe you didn't make the choice that you had set out to beforehand, but what can you change the next time? And I think that people that eat a plant-based diet, we're kind of experts at being like, oh, we'll bring this, we'll bring that. And knowing that by the time we get to a potluck or a, a dinner at a friend's house, people love the dishes and usually it's all gone right. by the time it's time to come yeah, home. Yeah, I was say, lead by example. You don't need to convert everyone, but you know, show That's that plant-based right. eating can be delicious. Yes. And you will, you'll adapt and you'll learn these tricks and over time you'll get better and better at them. But those are great tips. You trained as a biomedical engineer and you feel that that has helped you during your path as a physician and how you see things. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, let's see. 
So I studied at University of Virginia and I went straight into medical school after that. And I very much thought that these were two different fields completely. I'm giving up engineering, I'm going into medicine. Um, definitely in medical school, medical school itself is not very receptive to the engineering problem solving mindset. You know, and uh, medical school, we have to do a lot of memorization. We just, we need to memorize I don't know, bones and muscles and blood vessels. We need to memorize all of that information to be able to um, just perform medicine to do our day-to-day -day duties. We need to have that information. But it's really when you enter like clinical practice, residency and beyond that uh, the problem solving side of engineering really becomes relevant again. Um, and so for example, high cholesterol. So. Some people will say, okay, like how can we develop drugs that are going to help lower cholesterol? Like, you know, that's, that's one way to solve high cholesterol. But I think the engineering mindset kind of takes a step back and says, hold on, what really is the problem here? Why are they developing high blood pressure in the first place or high cholesterol? I can't remember what my example was, but um, you know, why are we developing this problem in the first place? Um, and I think it also causes you to look a little bit at the bigger picture. Um, even in engineering, we had this class, which I think everyone kind of hates, but then in hindsight they love, and it was called Science, Technology, and Society, STS. And it was about how our um, inventions or what we do as engineers impacts broader society. Like for example, cell phones. Like yes, a cell phone is just a way to make a portable phone call, but look at the way it's transformed society. It's, it's so much more than that. Um, so I think an engineering really thinks from the bigger picture um, and can really consider several elements of someone's health rather than just one metric like cholesterol or blood pressure. So I don't know. It, it's very fun to be able to meld the two fields. Yeah, so really you get a, a chance to think about the upstream medicine. What is it? What's the root cause of the disease, all the chronic disease that we have in our nation? And a lot of it boils down to, or most of it, 80 to 90 percent boils down to diet and lifestyle. And right. fortunately, these things are preventable. But unfortunately, we've kind of set ourselves up in a really hard spot. So as right. far as, as, you know, we're concerning the United States and our culture and our society. Have you thought about policy and the big picture? Like, where would you start to try oh, to, to change? I know, things? right? I guess I'm running for president 2020. <laughs> for me. Um, I know it is very tough. I feel like you need to get as high up in the chain as you can get. And so obviously I'm a family medicine doctor. I work with people one-on-one -on -one all the time, but then you start to think, gosh, wouldn't it be more effective if I could do more group classes and lectures. And so I've done a few of those. Um, but really, if you want to be the most effective, you need to get as high up in the chain as possible. So I'm fighting the good fight. I'm still pretty much in the, the middle of the totem pole now. But I think you're exactly right. I mean, if you can be effective from higher up or just, just the same way the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, they're doing a lot of great advocacy on Capitol Hill, that kind of thing can actually make bigger downstream changes. Yeah, because it is, you know, education for individuals is super important. But whenever we live in a chronically obesogenic environment, 
sometimes it's hard to make good cho good choices, you know, and you're nudged into the poor choices instead of being nudged into the good choices, um, which is one of the things I love about the Blue Zones Project, which is a, something that we're trying to bring here to Yakima. Well, let's switch gears a little bit, since you are a family medicine doctor. If you have a family that comes in, some parents that come in, and they're just, you know, frustrated, they want to improve the health of their family, but they don't know where to start. They just want to start making some baby steps. Where do you recommend that they start? Let me ask, who's my patient, the parent or the kid? The whole family, but you're talking the to the parents. The whole family, I'm seeing all the of parents. them. You're talking to the parents. Uh, they they well, want to make changes okay. for their family. Okay, well, first, real quick review of the things we already discussed, like figuring out what their actual goals are for the family, and then figuring out what their obstacles are. And then you also just really need to get a good idea of who they are in their life. You know, what... Uh, what career they have, what their hours are like, what kind of help they have at home, um, you know, what their finances are like, all of those things, the more information you can collect about that person's, um, I don't know, day-to-day -day life can be very helpful in terms of making recommendations about where to go next. Um, and so I think you can't do everything in one visit, but one of the best things you can do is figuring out you know, what their biggest motivator is and their biggest obstacle. And I'll usually give them some resource based on that. Um, some of the books I mentioned already, and then there are also some great websites that have all sorts of uh, menu items on them or resources like your website for people who have kids. Um, but I really think just working on one item at a time can be really helpful because then they have one thing to focus on, they're not getting too overwhelmed. So there really is no one size fits all there. It just kind of depends on the person. No, that's, that's totally correct. And I agree with that. Have you ever, um, I'm just going to push you a little bit here in this area. <laughs> if there were one food group that you would eliminate or replace, is there one that you focus on first? Cheese. Cheese. Cheese seems so innocent. It seems like, you know, it seems like it's in the shadow of meat, but I just don't think so. Cheese is so difficult for people. Um, I'm sure half of the viewers are familiar with queso morphine. If not, I'll give a quick summary. But um, breast milk, whether it's from a cow or a human, it contains a chemical called queso morphine. When we concentrate milk, meaning when we make cheese or something like that, we concentrate that queso morphine. So cheese is really like a low dose opioid. That's why nobody likes cheese. People love cheese. People have this addictive relationship with cheese. Um, cheese is the number one source of saturated fat and cholesterol in the American diet. And it is just so prevalent everywhere. It's on our sandwiches. It's on our salads. It's on our pizza. Um, I don't know. It's even on top of our meat and our cheeseburgers. Um, but cheese is just so prevalent everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So I think, I think that is just a really hard one for people. I honestly think it's harder than meat for a lot of people. Oh, I agree. And, and I love that too, because I, I use the whole, the whole food group of dairy, but cheese, I think is the hardest out of all the dairy for people to, I guess I really meant all of dairy, but cheese being the, you know, the leader in that pack. It is, it is. And it's the one that people are just like, I just, 
I can't give up my cheese. I can't, well, you know, it's like, seems impossible. How could I do that? Oh, and it is so constipating. It's that same opioid effect that causes it to be so constipating that and it contains no fiber related to acne, inflammatory disease. People feel a lot better when they give up dairy. And I think also if people were to know a little bit more about the background of why there's so much cheese everywhere, like in our schools and in prisons and the government subsidies and the checkoff programs, just looking a little bit more into that. And then, you know, then you start to feel like, oh, this is being actually forced onto me. It is addictive and I can't get off of it. And it's not benefiting my health. Even if it were neutral, it would be displacing other foods that have antioxidants and fiber, but it's not neutral, unfortunately. Right, like a stuffed crust pizza back in the 80s or late 80s. That was all a result of dairy management and lobbying and stuffed crust pizza. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so let's talk about you a little bit more. I'm very interested about your figure skating. Can you tell me a little bit more Uh about that? And did you actually get to go to the Olympics? So um, I was a synchronized ice skater, which is like team skating. You can Google it sometime. Um, it's kind of like synchronized swimming on ice. That's what I say. So it's several girls and you do all sorts of formations and lifts. And anyway, um, so I am from the Boston area. People did a little figure skating up there. It's not all that unknown. Um, and really, I just, I grew up about 22 minutes away from where Team USA practiced. Um, and so for the longest time, I was at my home club. But in 2005, I went out and tried out for that team and I made it, which was incredible. Um, It is not an Olympic sport. It is a world sport. So we got to go to worlds, which was very fun. Um, But it was, it was just such a unique life experience, especially where I am now in South Carolina. There's not a lot of figure skating. Um, Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work. Um, And I was just very lucky. I think time and place were aligned for me because I think, I lived the closest to the two rinks that we practiced at. I was like perfectly between them, but there were girls from other states and other places in the U.S. So it was a very cool experience. Wow, that's so cool. Do you still ice skate? Once in a while. Um, to the naked eye, I'm still a professional, but to the well-trained eye, I have lost a lot of skill. <laughs> but I still enjoy it once in a while. There's um, there's a downtown rink here that opens in the winter, and so we had a little fun on that. And then there's a a bigger rink nearby, but neither of those are Olympic size. I'm such a snob. Um, so anyway, yeah, once in a while, it's a lot of fun. And I read that you actually want to bring back inline skating. Tell me more about that. Of course I do. <laughs> Never thought I'd be talking about rollerblading. Um, so let's see, I guess what year and a half ago or something, I'd had some knee pain and I was just totally grumpy because I couldn't run I couldn't exercise. And so I went home over the holidays and uh, found my brother's old roller skates in the garage. So I just brought them back back down with me to South Carolina. Um, and we have a great trail here where you can just, you can go all the way up to the next town. It's a good 20 some miles back and forth. Um, anyway, it's a good workout. I don't know why nobody does it anymore. So. Oh, it's super fun. I got into it a little bit because there were some races here where it was like a relay and one of them was rollerblading, but then they took away that part of the relay, but I had started to get really good at it right. by that point. So what is your favorite way to exercise? You know, I kind of do a little of everything. I love, I mean, honestly, what I love is just the day to day 
bike ride and walking downtown and yoga. I just love the the day-to-day physical activity. But unfortunately, when you work 40 hours a week and are not as active as you like during those 40 hours, then go to the gym in the morning. And anyway, right now I'm doing some weightlifting and cross training. Um, But I really do a little bit of everything. I've just noticed that if I do too much of one thing, I get injured. So I'm a cross trainer by necessity. Yeah. And you got to fit it in where you can fit it in, especially if you're busy. So that brings me to one of my favorite questions to ask my guests is what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? What habit am I most proud of? More of a trait than a habit, but, um, I don't even know. This is a good thing and a bad thing, but I would say one thing that really makes me, me, and I think makes me successful at what I do is my neuroticism. <laughs> so I am definitely that cannonball person. I'm all or none. So when I'm committed to something, I'm committed to something. I am all in and it serves me well because I then can be successful at that one thing. But I think it drives other people crazy. because they're like, all right, you can take a break from that now. I'm like, nope, work in progress. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I think that's one of my most unique qualities that allows me to be successful at some of the things I do. Um, but it also drives other people and me crazy. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're very committed. You have a lot of commitment for what you decide to go into. I just think when you find something you're passionate about, you know, you just, how can you not pursue it in all of your free time? So, yeah. well, I'm very similar and I have, I've learned a lot recently that has helped me understand how this works. And I think it has to do with dopamine, the <laughs> desire. And I think that there really are some people that are able to activate their dopamine a little bit more than other people. And that keeps us going for things that other people, you know, their dopamine were off and they're like, ah, oh, this really does not sound appealing anymore. My desire for this has waned. When some of us, the dopamine just gets higher and higher and everything just sounds really exciting. So, you know, trying to help those other people that, or, or different parts of our lives, we may not be able to raise that dopamine enough that we want. So we just have to find that thing that motivates us. Just like you were talking about earlier in helping our patients find that thing that raises their dopamine level so that they can get really excited and be able to really just feel and taste this end goal that they really want. So I think that that's a very desirable trait to have. It's a bonus if that leads you to do something that is career building. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you want the dopamine for good things, not necessarily like, you know, right. productive. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. So, that's good. Um, what motivates you to do the work that you do? What motivates me? Um, I don't even know what motivates me. I mean, just my own personal interest. I, and I think it is just. It is so rewarding to be able to work with someone and truly help them get better and feel better Um, beyond just improving their numbers, improving the number on the scale, their cholesterol, their blood pressure, um, truly helping to guide someone so that they can pursue their own health. Um, Like when someone comes in, I had a patient who was following the blood type diet, you know, and they were like so committed following it a hundred percent. And that's just a great case of someone that you can easily reroute. They just have the wrong information, but if you get them the right information and they have that same neuroticism, then, then there they go and they're gung-ho, but this time in the right direction. Um, so I think just like really helping people to feel better 
Um, it's just so rewarding. You always get burnt out once in a while in the office or days where you just feel like you're not getting anywhere, but then you have other days where people come in and they thank you and you know, they look better, they feel better. It's very rewarding. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for the work you do. Did you always want to be a doctor? Well, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be one of Santa's elves, but I am too tall for that now. Um, you know, I didn't really figure it out until I was um, in undergrad. I was always a math science person, but it didn't all come together until, you know, what was that? I don't know, 2009 or something. Yeah, until more recently. So it all worked out. Well, that's great. And where do you see yourself in a few years, in five to 10 years down the road? To my patients that are listening, I still plan to be in Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> um, I mean, I really do. I'm um, building up my practice here now. I'm a part of Greenville Health System, which is a larger health system. And I would really like to make lifestyle medicine work for the health system. Um, you know, developing programs, community programs, um, lots of ideas. Just need more time. But I would really like to build up lifestyle medicine within our health system and within our community. Awesome. Are there any programs right now that you want to tell us about? Well, let me, there are a lot of programs. They're kind of scattered. Um, there is one program that we have that is really cool. It's called um, the Exercises Medicine Program. And it's a partnership between between the YMCA's in town and Greenville Health System. And so when someone comes in with some diagnosis that can be improved by exercise, high cholesterol, diabetes, you know, overweight, fibromyalgia, I don't know, so, so many, almost any diagnosis, um, we can send this person to the exercises medicine program. And it's a program at the YMCA, they set you up with a trainer, it's small group personal training, two to four people in a group, um, and you meet with that trainer twice a week for 12 weeks. So it's like 24 sessions with a trainer. It's a really good, like, you know, get your feet wet in exercise, get into the gym. It teaches people to adopt exercise as a habit. Um, and I love that program and I would really love to build a food is medicine program to go in parallel to exercise is medicine. Um, so when someone has diabetes or heart disease or cancer or whatever, we refer them to food as medicine and they're enrolled in a similar program that will help them learn how to eat to prevent and reverse their diseases. So anyway, those are, the exercise and medicine program is a great program and I would love to model something after that. Oh, so it sounds like more, more to come down the road. Well, how can listeners connect with you? Um, the best way is probably by following me on Facebook. Uh, the group is called Food is Medicine Greenville, and I post little snippets of plant-based propaganda every morning. Um, and if you look on there, you can see all my practice information listed also. Awesome. Do you guys have a potluck group too? Do you guys get together like socially over there? Or? Um, there, there are some other groups in Greenville um, that get together for potlucks, and I don't host all of those, but there's a, a big plant-based community in the area. I was a little hesitant when I was heading to South Carolina thinking that I wouldn't find any other fruit and veggie lovers, but there was actually a huge community of plant-based eaters. Isn't it amazing? I mean, even in Yakima, we have this really small town, central Washington, 
uh, I started a group here, Vegetarians of Yakima, and we have over 400 members now, people that are interested, some are vegan, some vegetarian, but a lot are just interested in living a healthier lifestyle, eating more plants. So no matter where you live, you just have to go out there and start start finding the people because they're there and there's more people every day that are interested in this life. I know. I mean, especially me in the office because they seek me out and they find me, but I, I have like, you know, eight patients a day that are plant-based eaters. So they definitely exist. Wow. That's amazing. Well, Dr. Beth Morris, this has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. You are just fresh starting your career. So I know that in five or 10 years, you're going to have some really great, amazing things going on there in Greenville. So I appreciate your time today. And I hope that the listeners reach out to you and join your groups that they can learn more about you and all that you have to say. Thank you. This is very fun. (laughs) Yes, a blast. We'll have a plantastic day. (laughs) See ya. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocketsurgeonsmusic. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash veggiefitkids, or you can email me at veggiedoctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R at veggiefitkids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast, and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again, and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli. Achoo.